Welcome to Teach Me How to Money. I'm your host, Jeremy. On this week's episode, we'll be talking with personal finance blogger and author Chelsea Fagan. But before we get going, our term of the week is credit score. A credit score is a point-based rating system developed by a company called Fair Isaac Co. It's sometimes referred to as a FICO score. Your credit score will look at your credit data, which is regularly compiled by something called a credit bureau. These are the companies Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. And a credit score can range from 300 to 850. The better you manage your credit, the higher your score is. Perfect credit is considered 850. Your score is determined by how responsible you are with credit. The most important factor is whether you are making payments on your debt on time. If you're late or have stopped paying a loan, that's going to have a negative impact on your score. But another factor is something called credit utilization. That's essentially the percentage of the entire amount of credit that you have available at any time. So say you have a credit line worth $10,000. If you're close to maxing out that line, that's likely to have a negative impact on your credit. Lastly, your credit score is determined by the kinds of loans you have. The more variety, the better your score is likely to be. So if you have a mortgage, a car loan, a credit card, and you pay all of those on time, chances are your credit score will be higher than if you only have a credit card account. Remember, the most important things are to pay your bills on time and not to max out your total credit. So that's our jargon hack for the week. Now let's get to the interview. Investing, a rewards-based spending account, educational tools, and more. Stash helps you maximize your financial potential. Use promo code PODCAST10 when you sign up to get $10 placed in your new investment portfolio. Today, we'll be speaking with Chelsea Fagan, the founder of the Financial Diet website, as well as a YouTube channel of the same name. She's also the author of the book, The Financial Diet. Chelsea offers young consumers money advice on everything from budgeting to negotiating your day-to-day purchases, not to mention breaking taboos around money. Today, we're going to talk about rebuilding your credit and ways to improve your credit score. Welcome, Chelsea. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So I was reading this week that uh, U.S. consumer debt is at a record level, well over $1.3 trillion, and credit card debt is about $800 billion of that. So what's going on with that? Are we just such a debtor nation that we depend so heavily on credit cards that, you know, we just kind of run up these enormous bills? And like, what's going on? Why, why are we so dependent on debt, do you suppose? Well, I would say the systemic reason for that is that most Americans, especially most young Americans, are underemployed and underpaid, generally speaking. Most emergency or unexpected expenses are out of the range of most people's, you know, cash at hand. So turning to credit cards uh, to solve simple problems that could otherwise be solved by cash, I think, is a big reason. Certainly not why I got into credit card debt myself. I was an example that, like, someone might love to point to as, like, just being completely stupid and frivolous. But I don't think that's the reason that most people initially get into credit Tell us your story, actually. I did want to get to that. So how did you get yourself into a lot of credit card debt? Um, Not a lot to tell here. I was (laughs) in high school. This was like just pre-crash. So um, Pre-crash being the financial crisis? Correct. And so this was like still the era where um, retail banks were allowed to set up booths in high schools to give people credit cards, which (laughs) looking back is just unbelievable. But anyway. Did your parents know that you were like applying for a credit card? Absolutely not. You didn't even need a cosigner. So I got my credit card. It was a a Hello Kitty Visa credit card with $500. I think I got like boots and food and a couple other things. And then I just like threw it away. 
And uh, of course, went to collections and all this other stuff. And oh, so you just threw the card away thinking what? Oh, I knew that I owed money. I just didn't care. And so, and I threw it away and I, you know, I got myself into some other trouble with things here and there, but that was the kind of what kicked off my terrible credit. And um, yeah, so not a big story there. But again, at the defense of most Americans, I don't think that's a very common uh, reason people go into credit card debt. Right. So underemployment, no employment, or jobs not, that not are... Not having enough money, not, ha- not being able to save an emergency fund, and therefore like any unexpected setback can easily put you kind of on the path to, to the cycle of debt. And I think also for a lot of people, there's a, an increasing relationship, I think, with most Americans in debt where it's so normalized to be in such extreme amounts of debt. Tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean by normalized? That, oh, I have $8,000 in credit card debt. Oh, no big deal. I have 10. So, you know. Well, I mean, the average millennial is like 38 grand in student debt. So mm-hmm. right off the bat, the idea of starting life with tens of thousands of dollars of debt is extremely common. It, it's no longer unusual. It's no longer something that I, th- I think it's something that many people consider a normal way to go through life. And it's also socially normalized. So being a couple thousand dollars in credit card debt comparatively uh, probably doesn't feel that bad. Similarly, you know, a lot of people, you know, own homes. They have cars that they're, you know, leasing or or that they are paying on payments. That you know, there's many things in their lives that they don't own outright that they owe money for. So the concept of being in debt is just sort of a the only way to live in a normal quote unquote adult life. What was your realization then? Um, how much debt did you actually have by the time you had this realization? What was your realization that this was not okay? That you wanted to change things? Um, so, uh, I was in debt to the credit card initially, like 500, obviously. And then by the time it was like all the interest and collections and fees and everything, I think it was like 1300. Um, but I also owed a lot of money to the state of Maryland and, and uh, Washington DC, which is actually, I, I got arrested because I was driving on a suspended license with suspended tags, both of which were suspended because I had a ton of unpaid moving violations oh, wow. and parking tickets, okay, right. which also negatively impacted my score. Um, cause those were also in collections. Um, and those, How old were you at the time? When I got arrested, I think I was 21 okay. or 20. So, um, so pretty early. And then all of that debt combined, I think, was maybe around five grand, something like that. And I was 22 or 23, and I got my book advance for my first book, um, which was like $22,000. And you get you don't get it all at once, but you get it in like two checks. And that was obviously the most money I'd ever seen in my life. And so I was like, oh, I can you know pay this debt off. So I got on a payment plan and just paid it off because I was like, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So it was really the advance that gave you this money to get you out of the hole. Totally, totally. And I was I um, lived out of the country for four years, so I actually wasn't even in the country where my credit score necessarily had a huge impact on my life. Like I, And I, in part, moved out of the country because I was like, well— I'm screwed here, so let's start over. Like, I was like a murderer. Um, (laughs) I lived in France for four years. Um, And actually, I I initially went because I could go to school for free there because uh, I could um, do my classes in French. Um, Was that a motivation that you wouldn't have to take on student loan debt in order mm -hmm, to go to school? I went to a community college, and then I got into a bunch of schools that I was initially going to transfer to, but they were very expensive. And if you go to, like, a French university, just their regular classes, it's like two grand a year if you're not— uh, citizens, so, so it's like I want to talk a little bit more about your transformation in mm-hmm. terms of um, thinking about finances because I think this is incredibly important. You had mm-hmm. um, your accumulating debt, um, you had this arrest, and then you had the advance, but something clicked along the way. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that was? And it sounds like going to school abroad was part of this. Like mm-hmm. you decided not to take on more debt. 
For sure. Um, well, I mean, I I want to say that that was totally just like a, a smart decision, but it was more that my parents refused to co-sign on any of the student loans that were available to me because they knew I was like completely unreliable, which is like looking back, they spared me, I think. But so even this is out of necessity that you wanted to get the education. Yeah. And then the one school that I would have been able to go to, it still would have been a decent amount of debt. So I was like, you know what? screw it. I don't really even know what I'm going to do after college. So I'm just going to go with the cheapest option, which was going to France. A lot of people, I think, when they try to kind of turn around their debt, credit, whatever situation, a lot of times it's because they realize like how shitty life is when you have really terrible credit scores or, you know, massive debt. Um, That wasn't necessarily my case. It was more that I realized that I grew up quite poor. So having that money in my hands for the first time was the first time I ever felt like I had options as far as what I could do with money. And I really loved that feeling. And I thought, well, the only way I'm going to continue that feeling and that snowball effect is to get rid of this, like, debt that's haunting me. Because by the time I left the country, like, I literally didn't even ever answer my phone because it was always collections, mm-hmm. always debtors. And it was um That it sounds was not, really upsetting. Not a way to live. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So Was that stressful, having the Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, and it was also just humiliating. By the time I was, like, in— college, I, my, my family definitely was more middle class. Like my family has, you know, really kind of built their own financial life over the past couple decades. So it was not that like constricting feel of being poor where you're like, you know, every, like the car breaks down and you're like, are we going to get, are we going to lose our home kind of situation? So it wasn't quite that level of stress, which obviously is much worse, but it was a level of day-to-day anxiety and, and embarrassment of, you know, I am not, I'm not even able to be a full adult because I can't even answer my phone because I know it's going to be a debtor. So I would say it was more embarrassing embarrassment than anything else. Right. So it was a series of different things that led you to have this kind of turnaround in your life in terms of becoming smarter about money. And I'm wondering, like, what were your first steps? So it's like beyond paying off the debt. Like, did you like read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times? I know. (laughs) What what, what were some of the things that you, how did you educate yourself? Um, how did I educate myself? Yeah, about money, about money. I really didn't for the next, so like I paid off my debt and then I was like, I guess if I just can like don't mess up more then I'm okay. Um, And then at 25, which is when I started the financial diet, I at that point had a salaried job for the first time. I had like- Doing what? uh, I worked at another media company. I was in the, the most stable place I'd ever been in at that point in my life. I had the means to save and I realized at that time like, oh, you've, you're not actively terrible with money, but you really don't know anything about money. And that sort of like spawned, you know, so there was like a three year period where I was just like, okay, you're coasting, like you're not actively ruining your life. But it took a while to then move to the stage of like being proactive and and understanding money. So say I have like, you know, $10,000 in debt. What are some strategies to, and you know, it just seems like I can never get ahead of it because either the interest rate on the credit card is so high or just I'm not making enough to pay off big chunks of it at a single time. Um, What are some strategies that you could offer or some tactics or tips that you could offer to people to just really take control of that? So... It really depends on the situation, and there are a lot of specifics which would change the situation because there's obviously a range of solutions, right, ranging from, like, literal bankruptcy all the way to just, like, spending better. For a lot of people, it's very, very difficult psychologically to get out of that nihilism of being, like, I'm already in this much debt, and then you add to it, like, you know— $100,000 of student debt that you can't wash away in bankruptcy. Like, it, it can get to a place where you feel 
It's too hopeless to take hopeless, care of. Hopeless, exactly. Right? Um, so I would do whatever is in your power first to consult with a professional or at least someone who's like intelligent about money and debt that you trust because, again, depending on the various factors of your situation, there's a whole range of options. Obviously, refinancing is another option. Like loan, Like debt consolidation is another option. There are a lot of different ways to go about it. But I think the biggest first step for for us is what we recommend is like, you have got to be completely honest about it, unashamed about it. Like, there's a lot of shame around it, right? Post on Instagram about mm-hmm. it. Like, be completely honest. Like, release that demon because I feel like the vast majority of what keeps people paralyzed in these situations, no matter what their next step should be, is that they feel like they can't talk about it, they're ashamed about it, and then they just let the debt accumulate, which is exactly what I did. And honestly, if at that time I had, like, forced myself to be like, I'm, you know, however many thousand dollars in debt, and it was like I couldn't hide it anymore, then I would never feel bad about saying no to something new that I couldn't do or, you know, asking for help from people who maybe could have given it to me or advice. Uh, So definitely you have to just start by being radically, radically honest about it. Yeah. So talking about it, you said consult a professional. Can you offer some tips about what kinds of professionals you're talking about, like a financial advisor, go to your bank and say, help me, or I don't know, what do you do? It really depends right? Because some are going to be expensive and not necessarily affordable to the average person. Depending on the amount of money that you have, like there are, I would start by just like Googling like your situation, the particulars of your situation. Asking your bank is not a bad idea. Sometimes retail banks do offer this kind of help. Like credit counseling? And debt counseling and all of these, you know, because a lot of times the, the bank itself will, will offer solutions. Like, honestly, calling your credit card company sometimes and just speaking to a human being can be a good first step. And they'll offer plans sometimes. Like, that's what I did. I was like, I called Visa and I was like, help. And they were like, okay, this is what you have to do. And they put me on a payment plan that was affordable for myself. I mean, obviously, if it's available to you to speak to like a true financial advisor, like that's not going to be a bad idea. But generally speaking, if you're drowning in debt and unable to work with it, you probably aren't also going to like a CFP. Like, so there's, I mean, there's a lot out there. There are also, frankly, a lot of snake oil salesmen. So I always recommend that people Google all the different titles of the different financial advisors to make sure that they're certified to make sure that they have to act in your best interest to make sure that they're not just like skimming your money off the top unnecessarily. Like there are a lot of third parties that will get in the way of you, you know, of you helping with some of these problems. And this is a complicated issue because some of them are good in the sense that like they will just lead you through the process and help you. And, you know, whether it's like disputing things on your credit report or, you know, negotiating with creditors and banks for you. If you are someone who is extremely avoidant, these third parties can be a good option for you. But if you're someone who is not extremely avoidant and is willing to deal with these, often just calling the debt holders themselves can be a great first step. But like, again, so what do you say? Like, hi, I've got, you know, I'm I was crying. Yeah? I was literally what, crying. What, how did they respond to you when you cried? She did was they... like, sweetie, don't cry. No. Like she was like, she was did very sweet for sure. So initially, like with my initial debt, they were like you. So it had gone to that point to collections. And so they were like, you know, obviously we can't deal with this like in house, we can put you into touch with people who will. And so like, I started by calling Visa ended up like, you know, going down the rabbit hole and eventually ending up with the service who was handling the debt. Um, and a lot of these companies are extremely scummy, but I mean, like, look at how they make their living. Yeah. But 
once you like they are so desperate to get someone on the phone who will be a live body and pay a debt what a lot of people don't know is that a lot of debtors and collections people are basically paid on a kind of commission where like they are incentivized to just get someone sort to like pay a, a dollar a, a bounty hunter in a movie basically, or something it's yeah. like a bounty hunter yeah. um and so like once you get on the phone with these people and you like put a card number down and you're like i'm ready to be on a payment plan like they come in, like, with <laughs> fireworks <laughs> and champagne. They're like, hell yeah, let's get you paying. Um, so it's often, I think, just making the call is the most difficult part. And again, each situation is going to be very different, right? Like, if you are facing, like, bankruptcy um, and you maybe even need to talk to an attorney, you're in a situation where you're maybe going to potentially lose your home. Like, these are all very different issues that will have very different solutions and necessitate, like, you may end up needing to talk to a lawyer. Like, there are all kinds of ways to go, but the first place to start, I think, is is Googling the particulars of your situation. You can read about what other people have done. You can talk to other people who've been through it. And then you can start one by one, like talking to these sources of debt and seeing, you know, what can be figured out because they want to work with you. And this can all help you rebuild your credit if um, you've destroyed it, basically. Like if you start being responsible around it, start talking to your lenders, coming up with a payment plan over time, that can help you rebuild your For credit. For sure. Obviously, there is a question of bankruptcy. You know, you mean whether you should file it or not, file for it or not? Right, because obviously that will have a huge impact on your credit. Um, Bad or good? A bad, a bad, or bad, bad, or bad impact, or a good impact on your credit? That's account? I. You know what? I should be more uh, specific in my terms. Generally bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for someone who is completely drowning and has no future ahead of them, where it's realistic to make some of these payments, ultimately it could be a good thing in the long term. So, like, it's not, it's not universal, right? That doing something will positively impact your credit score in the short term. But doing nothing about it is always the worst option on the short and the long term, especially for mental health, right? Because like, you know, as we were saying, like, once you get to a point of hopelessness, there's kind of nowhere to go but down, you know, if you keep on that road. It's not going to like, no one's going to magically come around and pay your debt for you. Um, So you, you have to at some point face up. So you also talked about how you negotiate your day-to-day expenses and just sort of like go to the mat over that. And I'm wondering, um, that's important in terms of uh, sort of factoring into keeping a a budget or reducing your expenses or, you know, this can factor into our conversation about debt. You know, what are some of the things that you'll just absolutely go and negotiate over? Negotiate in what way? Uh, To lower prices. Oh, um, hmm. Most things. So there's different, like, genres of that, right? Like, I'm very big on building up loyalty because once you build up loyalty and have, like, a person that you can speak to in these stores or service providers, you're much more likely to get good deals and good rates and all that stuff. Like like I was saying, I'm, like, desperate to get my medallion status, but I also, like, will frequently, like, message Delta myself to be like, can we work this out somehow and, you know, get, you know, freebies or whatever. So, like, that's a big one. Um, anytime a good is damaged in some way, I'm like, you better give me a good price on this at the at checkout, that kind of thing. Like I'm like I'm not shy about yeah. anything like that. And sometimes I'll honestly like seek out a, pr- a product that's slightly damaged um, because I'm like I can fix this, and then it's you know severely reduced in price. So I'm definitely big on trying to find discounts where you can. And in terms of negotiation, ooh, the biggest one that a lot of people don't know. So I live in New York, obviously, and most people rent here. Or a lot of people rent. And I am sure that my landlord hates me on some level because I'm very much like on his case. 
but he likes me enough to keep me. Uh, and honestly, if you are a good tenant who takes good care of your place, pays your rent on time, doesn't make a fuss, like your landlord almost certainly wants to keep you because changing you out is more expensive, which gives you leverage to do things like, for example, they just re renovated the garden apartment that's two floors below us. And I saw that they put in all new appliances that are much nicer than the appliances that we have. So I emailed my landlord and I was like, can we get these appliances? And he was like, I'm not sure, like hemming and hawing. And I was like, okay, well, if I buy these appliances and have them delivered, can I take that out oh, of my amazing. rent? Oh, amazing. Which uh -huh. is what we're going to do. Huh. Um, so he agreed to that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Because it's like, it doesn't cost him anything. He's like, fine, whatever, screw uh -huh. it. Um, and summer, especially where I live, is very transient for them. So they're like desperate to keep people in the units if they're good tenants. So things like that, I'm like very aggressive about negotiating down. What I always find and things like uh, I've had I've like called my bank on multiple occasions because like I didn't realize an account was still open and I was getting charged an account fee oh, which wow. like dinged yeah. my credit score and things yeah. like that and like I will stay on the phone with someone for four hours to get something you know off my score or get something reimbursed and I think a lot of people don't realize that whether it's like a consumer good or where you live or anything like that being polite but persistent and knowing what you're entitled to and knowing your value can get you so far in life and get you so many little perks and reimbursements and all those things that you're looking for. I'm wondering if you can help us with a listener question. This person wrote in to ask, how does credit card debt affect your credit score? Is it better to close an account after your debt is paid off or should you keep it open? So I'm going to qualify this and retroactively qualify this entire show with the fact that I am in no way a financial expert. Although, what? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Although, if, uh, word to the wise, a lot of people in financial media are also not financial experts, but they don't necessarily, they obfuscate that a little. That being said, uh, carrying debt, it depends. Uh, are you missing payments or making your payments late? Like, obviously, if you are messing up your payment schedule, that's not good for your credit score. Like, that's going to have a negative impact. Closing a card generally will have a negative impact in the short term, both because it lowers your overall available amount of credit and it, depending on how old the credit card is, it might reduce your window of how long you've had credit. Also, you have fewer cards open, although that will typically bounce back faster than other kinds of like dings, let's say. But I would interrogate your reason for closing it because if you're simply closing it because you're like, I've paid off my debt, we're yeah. done. Like, that's kind of misunderstanding the concept of a credit card. Right. Excellent. Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on Teach Me How to Money. This Thanks has been so much me. fun talking with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. Send us your questions at teachmehowtomoney at stashinvest.com, and we'll try to answer them in a future episode. If you like what you're hearing, leave us your review in the Apple Podcasts app on Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from Stash to the listener. Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash, and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Stash to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of Stash.